Hi, beautiful soul fam. Welcome to Ceremony Circle Podcast. I am your host, shaman and author, Allison Charles. And today's voyage is with none other than Caduce Felipe, a TV host, creative director, and TEDx speaker on a mission to empower emerging voices. Caduce burst into the international spotlight, replacing Carson Daly as a host of the iconic MTV show, Total Request Live. And he became the interviewer of choice for artists like Jay-Z and Beyonce. But Caduce left this sought after position to add a deeper contribution, his more mindful and conscious contribution to the world of media. Now, legendary comedian Chris Rock has said, if Oprah and Ryan Seacrest had a love child, the kid would end up being like Caduce. And if you've happened to watch the new Netflix documentary, Genius, about the rise of Kanye West, Caduce is actually featured in it. And one of the highlights showcases the moment that Caduce got Kanye on MTV for the very first time. Now, I've known Caduce as a dear friend for many years. I've attended his wedding. I've traveled with him to Israel. I've been neighbors with him when we both lived in Brooklyn, spent holidays together. You're going to hear all about that soon in the interview. But my point is, I couldn't wait to have him on Ceremony Circle because I have seen firsthand over the course of many years, his massive spiritual and personal transformations. And we get super vulnerable around his darkest times that led to him making it through his identity and existential crises and much more. And you're going to get loved up on with more than one immersive practice in this episode. One was such a game changer for me when I watched him give his TEDx talk that I asked him to share it here with you today. And like with every episode of Ceremony Circle, we close with a guest sharing a brief ceremony ritual or practice that will amplify your life. And Caduce guides a meditation where you can finally let go of old identities, parts, and archetypes within you that have run their course and allow in that new, new energy that you can feel now wants to come alive and be born. So if you've ever wanted to go right to the deep inside understanding of the music or entertainment industry, or hear ways to overcome trauma and crisis, or learn how to embody fulfillment over fame, we have got you today. Sit at this sacred fire with us and learn from the best with Caduce. Okay. Oh my gosh. My heart chakra is chomping at the bit to just dive into this with you. Hi, brother. <laughs> hey, hey. Oh my gosh. Wow. It was so hard. I've known you for over five years, I think at this point, but this is, I think the longest we've gone in those five years where we haven't like caught up. And so to see your face pop on, I just wanted to be like, and I'm like, no, wait, press record, <laughs> have to start the interview first, but it's so good <laughs> totally. to see you. You like it's great to see you feel and look like a whole different person. Well, in a lot of ways I am. I think a lot of us went through quite a bit of a transformation through the pandemic. So I don't think I'm alone in this. <laughs> True that. That, <laughs> that is probably the truest statement spoken. It's impossible. No one can escape the massive, yeah, transformational, expansive, awakening, shadow revealing, whatever, whatever. It's all the things. It's all of it. Yeah. 
Yeah, it was like a collective ayahuasca ceremony. Yes, and with varying facilitators and varying dosages and varying <laughs> locations, some with less integration time than others. <laughs> yep, varying results, for sure. Oh some of us are still in it. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, truly, honestly, for me, especially in the last couple of weeks, very, very initiatory and so revealing. Some of the deepest teachings and excavations that I've experienced in my whole life, they're still coming up and still revealing and I'm still with them. But the last couple of weeks especially have brought, I think it's safe to say, the greatest level of discomfort in memory. So that's where Mm. I'm at, right? Right now. <laughs> mm, well, what are the major themes that are arising for you? Don't you start to turn this interview around on me. You little <laughs> rascal. See, this is, I know I said it in the intro, but now you're seeing a, a fellow, a TV pro at work, man. He's, he's already, <laughs> he's in TV host mode. He's like, let's dive into your themes. But I know I'm, I'm happy to share. Let's see. Let me see actually if a thematic word reveals standby, just the theme that popped in and I haven't, you know, I haven't been in a place of readiness to talk about it yet in depth only because I'm only a few steps out of the fire of it. So I'm not, I'm not fully landed with it yet, but it's something around as I try to put human words to what popped in there. It's this opening up of this like deepest, I feel like my belly is just so raw from the discomfort because the leaning in and the types of initiations that have been revealing for me and all of this, because I choose to stay with them and because I choose to walk with and through them and really be with it all, it's taking me obviously to expanded abilities and capacities to truly love unconditionally and so many more expanded abilities within myself to hold a more expanded and healthier and stronger container space Mm. for the whole thing and for anyone else that needs a stronger container held. And so it's just been this massive expansion of the totality of the allness. And it's, and I know it's a little rambly and wonky again, because I I haven't, uh, haven't landed with it, but yeah, the discomfort is it's been really real and ongoing and it's, but I'm so glad I stuck with it. And the people that have been riding some of these uncomfortable waves with me, I'm so proud of all of us for sticking with it because in sticking with it and none of us not just tossing the middle fingers up, you know, which definitely that desire to, you know, I'm sure arose <laughs> in all of us, but in us sticking it out, so many unexpected gems and treasures and additional lessons and teachings and I'm like, wow, just got to keep holding the line and stay in it. But it it, um, it was so intense recently. It, it almost reached, and I know you and I have kind of joked about this before, but it definitely hit within me that place. I'm like, where's the eject button, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, damn. Oh, damn. These growing pains are a little much right now. Need a timeout. Yeah, yeah. for real. Yeah. yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot. Well, I mean, it's the calling, right? And sometimes when the calling happens, it really does stretch us beyond what we think we're even capable of. And there's the discomfort, the imposter syndrome, whatever else comes up, right? Totally. Yeah. And so I'm so glad that we just organically dropped into this portal. And I, you know, just wanted to say this, not when we were 
off camera and, and I hadn't hit the record yet, but as we're here now with it being recorded, like I've always valued within our friendship, the ability and capacity for us to go anywhere that's needed and to have a place of vulnerability and just that safe, powerful space where we can really talk about any topic or theme. And that, you know, was really coming up for me as I was feeling into the framework, the intention for this talk and you know, I was really reflecting in the five or whatever years that we've known each other. My good Lord. A lot in five years. It was like five lifetimes. <laughs> At least, you know, and the fact that our journey as friends started like on a bus in Israel and, you know, walking through those most potent sacred lands of old town Jerusalem. And, you know, the, so I guess that kind of says it all. Like that's where our, our starting point of our friendship was, was in that type of experience and setting. Yeah, the deep end. The deep, total, just straight into the deep end. And that theme, you know, that space has really held the whole way. And it's been so profound for me to, yeah, it arises emotion, as I'm about to say it, to witness you and your walk and your earth walk and in your journey, because you certainly have signed up for, and I even feel it, I feel it energetically as I'm saying it, you have, you signed up for some some doozies. You have invited in some really incredible challenges to arise from, my friend. Mm-hmm. That's a nice way to put it. I got chills, by the way, when you're talking about that God, I'm on the other side. I mean, it's something to be in the valleys, though. It really is. And I've been in some major valleys. And I think that's really what happens whenever we make the prayer to be used in whatever way God's will would have us be used. And if we're not quite there, in a container big enough in our skin suit to take on that, which our prayer is asking for, God will give us exactly what we need to have that capacity. And he gave me every bit of every kind of human challenge in the past five years that one could take on. I mean, except for my parents dying, basically, I've basically had everything else go on and it's been beautiful though, because ultimately the space that I hold now is way bigger. I can hold whatever someone wants to bring to the table now. Whereas I think before I had a bit of a inconsistency between the vision I had and my ability or my experience level, having been through the valleys that I've been through now, because I think there's something to be said about how we can't really support and guide someone to a level that we haven't gone ourselves. And I think that works the inverse way too. If we haven't experienced the valleys, it's really hard for us to speak with someone who is in a valley to Mm. effectively guide them out of it. Yeah. Amen. Aho to that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And that's really because it's been a hot minute since we've truly dropped in and had like a full on catch up. I wanted to land exactly where the current's taking us to, yeah, the the embodiment that Caduce has now and to give people a little bit, since this is Ceremony Circle podcast and your life has truly been an embodiment of ceremony over the past five years, there were a few main themes that were revealing when I was feeling in the phrase soul retrieval 
was coming in Mm -hmm. and also, you know, overcoming trauma. And so, of course, you know, I know you have a high threshold, like when it comes to your ability to be vulnerable, but even with that being said, like wherever you're at today is welcome here. And, but I, I did want to let people know they're probably wondering like, what are they referring to these past five years? (laughs) And not that we need to get into the weeds with all of them, but you know, when we were living in Brooklyn together, you were with your then wife, who's also a dear friend of mine, Carmina. And, you know, we would spend time together and we had like a Thanksgiving together. And, you know, already just upon that brief description, it's now revealed that as me referring to her as your then wife, that you have experienced a wedding and becoming a husband and then going through a divorce. And one other experience that happened when you were in that relationship, when I was over visiting is your dog, you know, you taking your dog down for that walk and being witness to the trauma of your dog dying right in front of you. And I'm curious because I happen to be there in that time space reality of when that was occurring and witnessing you then in that. And now these years forward, I'm really curious specifically, like if you have any deeper reflections, um, we'll start with the dog passing because I know that that was big. So, yeah, yeah. And it was one of those things that reminds me of something Oprah said once about how, and I'm pretty sure she was quoting somebody, but you know, how Oprah says stuff it, like it's her own. I'm yeah. like, yeah, Queen Oprah said it. So this quote comes to mind that sometimes we're going to hear whispers from God. And then if we don't listen to those whispers, it'll escalate into a megaphone. I'm totally paraphrasing, <laughs> but that incident where Michi was killed in front of me by this other big dog was that megaphone. And I didn't quite know what to make of it at the time because of the shock of all of it. But now in retrospect, I look at it and that was the megaphone that was saying, you are out of alignment and we are going to keep throwing things at you to make you pay attention to what you need to bring into alignment until you do. And so that was one of many moments. I mean, just two months later, I had a night where it was a sleepless night. This was about a month into insomnia yet another sleepless night. And then I went and reached for some beautiful cannabis medicine to help me take the edge off of yet another sleepless night. And then after smoking a little bit of that, I actually fainted, fell flat on my head, right? So that was another moment where I could look at it and say, that was about as loud a signal as I can get short of getting into some sort of car accident. Like it's literally universe saying you're falling on your face right now. Like you're, you're collapsing. You're, you're, yeah. Yeah, this is yeah. all collapsing. And, and you know what I make up about it? Cause I think we're all meaning making machines and all these moments can be interpreted in multitudes of ways. But I look at that in the scope of everything that I've experienced since and the alignment that I have gotten to and what the distinction of that has been for me is actually getting to a place of authenticity that is very uncomfortable actually for what I had been sort of indoctrinated into. So that was part of my, my upbringing actually. Yes, for sure. And we are absolutely going to get into all of that, but it's, that's another thing that's been so beautiful for me as we are walking this wild hero's journey next to each other as brother, sister, friends to see that specific piece of you evolving. Cause it was flashing me back to when you asked me to interview you about some of your experiences when we were both in LA at the time. Mm -hmm. And I could feel in that interview, there was a massive part of your soul and being that 
Otherwise, we wouldn't have been doing the interview and you wouldn't have asked me to do it. There was ready and willing. However, I could feel that for different reasons in real time in the interview and after you were like, hmm, let me, okay, with this that came up, like, let me sit with this. Let me recalibrate. Let me land. Let me, okay, that made me feel this way. Mm-hmm. And I just could feel so many maneuverings that mm-hmm. were were happening. And, and that's beautiful, right? Like f- that you worked that process in that way. And then from those revelations, whatever they were, yeah, just letting yourself layer by layer, learn to trust in this newer found medicine of this mm-hmm. vulnerability and fuller authenticity that's not yeah. manufactured or presented in a certain way. So yeah. it, like, how did you, as you were walking through, and there are other, you know, and major initiations, some we may or may not get into, but in this journey we're reflecting on, you are going through a lot, walking through a lot of fire, some of them, the darkest you can kind of possibly go and, you know, then having high realizations, but how did you keep going through it all? I know it's a huge question. <laughs> deep breaths. What, what kept you sure going? Answers, lots of deep breaths. Oh, really the faith that there was all a meaning to it. There was all, it was all adding up to something, Mm. you know, because like I said, if my prayer was to be of greatest service in this lifetime, then truly the journey has been about becoming a vessel for that. And so my vesselship hadn't gone through some of these challenging moments until the past four or five years. There was challenges for sure, but not nearly to the degree that they came (laughs) hard and fast in the past five years. I mean, even looking at the business that we decided to take on and tackle and create a media training that would support people at the highest level to break free from any kind of shackles they had to express themselves and be their authentic self on camera. That's the number one fear in America to Mm -hmm. public speak and then compound that with a camera. That was what we were grappling with on a regular basis in our media training together, Carmine and I, and how we co-founded that. And that's something you even participated in. And it was one of those experiences that was incredibly powerful for people, but to hold that space was a lot. You know, we're looking at people basically facing off with the number one fear in America on a regular basis and then being the gateway to support them to not be in any fear around it. And so that was a really very potent space to hold. And it definitely pushed me to my limit on the professional side. And then personally taking on a higher level of commitment with the marriage to someone who I adore to this day. I think she is an incredible human being. And I was caught up in a story that had me in an illusion Mm. that didn't have me powerfully in relationship with the reality of what I needed in a relationship. Mm. And unfortunately I had to play that out with a partner and she, for all of her good intentions could not stop that reckoning could not stop that realization from getting to the point where I needed to make a decision. And so that year leading up to the decision was probably the hardest thing I've ever gone through. Anybody who's been through a divorce will tell you it's one of the hardest things to do because no one gets into a marriage with the intention of divorcing. No one gets in the marriage because they don't think this is the person. It's a genuine notion that people get into a marriage with. And, and I certainly had every intention 
of going all the way with it. Now, there was a lot of signals in my body that I wasn't listening to because of the story level being so intoxicating. Mm. You know, we both had the same mentor who is cultivating us as these facilitators for this incredible workshop called Grace, which worked at the embodiment level like nothing I've ever experienced to this day. And so there we were on the same trajectory as facilitators in this apprenticeship with this masterful facilitator. And then we collided, you know, and she was certain from jump. I was not. And yet I didn't trust myself enough to hold steady in that first initial instinct that didn't have me quite at the same level. Mm. So cut to all the years later and finally getting to a point where I'd been coaching so many people around me and yet not really receiving the guidance that I needed. God gave me all the guidance I needed in the form of boom, the tragedy with Michi down by the waters there in the East river. And then boom, that moment at 3 AM falling flat on my face. And then boom, more nights of not being able to sleep and all the turmoil that flushed up. And really when I look at it, that was my biggest dance with my shadow. I think I had thought Mm -hmm. I'd done shadow work. And then there was this level, you know, and I think if I had more reasonable goal in life, maybe I wouldn't have had the same level of initiation. Let's call it into this level of being aware of the breadth of the human experience, right? Like this dark and light. And I think we get to hold both. Ah, yes. Gosh, yes. That is, I think, one of, if not the most ultimate teachings, yes, is is to be with the allness. And, And yeah, you decided to devote yourself to that ultimate devotion that one can have in this earth walk. And then I keep you know, being directed by spirit to also go back to what I have here in bold letters. And it's literally the name that you incarnated with that means like caduce means the most holy. Hello. I mean, Mm. that's some big. (laughs) Yeah, it's big shoes to fill. I mean, it, it definitely has been my North Star and I haven't always been able to walk in that light. But then again, I think it brings up the question of what it is to be holy. Right. And I think it's actually wholeness. Now, being on the other side of it, having a value for the valleys, the shadow, the darkness that I went through, Yes. because big light, big shadow, big shadow, big light, you know, it really has expanded my capacity for joy, being able to know the sorrow that I went through and vice versa, right? And trusting yourself because, you know, you were taken, and I know you've shared about this publicly before, you know, into some incredibly dark territory where you questioned if you wanted to continue living earth life. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you were able to find your way through that. And so the trust that develops in oneself to be able Mm -hmm. to walk in some of the scariest, darkest places possible. Wow. I mean, that's some of the greatest power one can attain is to Mm. arrive to that scariest, most terrifying place. Because when one arrives to that questioning of, do I want to exit this earth life? And do I want to facilitate that exit exiting myself reaching that point in that place? It's not like it's just this one 
marker point, going there within yourself and Mm -hmm. then the additional questions and feelings that arise the next day or the next month to come from you hitting that place. Mm -hmm. It's so big. Yeah, it definitely took a lot to come to a different understanding of it. I think for a while, it definitely just had me shook that I could even have that thought. I'd never had that thought prior, but then there I was in my mother's basement of all places. And I was literally on the verge of doing it in my mother's basement. I mean, I can't think of a more dark way to go out actually. And so that being said, it was, it was the height of my misalignment that I wasn't able to just reconcile with where I had blind spots and call it what it is. Mm. It it became this existential crisis of who am I? If I can't actually be in this relationship and live out my vows, who am I? If I'm the one that has been coaching people to live an authentic life, and here I am being caught in a blind spot, feeling inauthentic in this relationship, which I held so sacred, who am I? You know, it felt like there was no part of me that could even take myself seriously Mm. moving forward after something like that. So it was just this reckoning with perception of others and getting to a point where I had to just humble myself and re-engage with my friends and say to you and others, this is what's going on. And then what really made the tipping point in my acceptance of all of it happen was being accepted by community. Mm -hmm. And that's why I say like the biggest lesson I learned in all this is that we can't do this life alone. You know, and a lot of us, we think we can, I think this Western culture, especially indoctrinated us into this notion of independence, but interdependence is really what we're, we're seeing now. You know, these blue zones are indicating that people have a longer lifespan when they have community as a regular part of their life, when they sit to meals more and things like that, those are actually actual data points we have now. And there I was feeling like I couldn't share this stuff because I was so ashamed at that point Mm -hmm. because I I was this position of leader, guide, coach for others. And so that goes to a whole nother conversation about what happens when you're the upholder, who's upholding the upholder. Mm -hmm. And like, are we allowing ourselves to be as vulnerable as we expect the people around us who we're coaching to be in order to have their transformation? So it was this real level of hypocrisy that I caught myself in. Mm -hmm. Like I am not actually receiving that, which I give others, you know? And so there I was finally letting others in, in that way to see my brokenness and see where I, I am walking a spiritual path, but certainly a human one at the same time. Yes. Yes. Which is one of my favorite things. I always like to remind people that, you know, I honor the human in me as much as I honor the shaman in me. Like, you know, so yeah, I'm curious along that journey, because this could, I mean, all of this is of course of service to those joining us, but um, they might be wondering, okay, so you were able, even though, and I hate to use the term clusterfuck to describe But like you, I I mean, like total upside down world, like talk about complete discombobulation, dysregulation, clusterfuckery, like, wow. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. you already shared that what kept you going is you were able somehow in that clusterfuck to access that deep knowingness that this has, has to be leading me somewhere good and not good, bad, but you know what I mean? And so, but what else, because I know, you know, we sat in, I mean, we did different ceremonial and spiritual practices over that time, but one Mm -hmm. of which, and I'm not trying to talk details, but we sat in a medicine ceremony, plant medicine ceremony that we were all called to go to your ex-wife, myself and you. And I'm curious, 
if in hindsight, looking back to either that specific ceremony or another, do, do you feel that that ceremony served you or did not? Where, where does your reflection on that? Yeah, well, looking at it, I think there was something to be said about the, the moment where I felt like there was all of this angst coming up. You might recall it was basically me wailing out of the reflection of my father, specifically that ceremony helped me go to my experience of my father being this Haitian immigrant and all of what he went through. And it was an interesting kind of transcendent moment where like intellectually, I don't quite recall exactly what came up, but I do know that I was processing a level of pain with respect to my father and how he lived and he's still living, thank God. But so there was something about that that was important because I remember years prior in a Vipassana experience, this is a seventh day of a silent meditation experience. And I remember waking up at 3 a.m. finally with clarity around the compassion I could have for my father because I had had him as a villain Mm. up until that moment where I realized, wow, what must it have been like to be a Haitian who fell in love with a Canadian visiting Haiti and then deciding to elope and get married and move to Canada and then not have his dentistry practice respected at all by Mm. Canada, having to go back to the drawing board, back to school and start all over again in order to be with this woman. I started to really reckon with that in this Vipassana experience and thinking, gosh, like he must've been so a fish out of water, feeling so really, really out of sorts and stressed out with this family to take care of now, being basically behind in his practice as he knew it, because he had been practicing in Haiti for years. Can you imagine? Like if somebody stripped away all your credentials and all of a sudden you had to start from scratch, that was him. And so that was a Vipassana experience years ago that brought me to that level of compassion that actually had me literally get down on my knees that morning at 4 a.m., walking the path outside of the dorm that we all stated. And I cried then, but there was a level of true compassion and reckoning with how I had held him as a villain that I hadn't gotten to until that ceremony that we sat in. And then I wailed for all the moments that my father and I have not connected because Mm. of what was in the way, Mm. what was the, the perception this sort of victim complex that I'd been in with regard to my dad and how he had treated us growing up. Now, do I look at him differently now? Absolutely. Was he a perfect father? No, I don't think a lot of people could claim that, but did he try his best? Yes. And so I think there was a lot there just around that. And so that's the thing about what you talk about the clusterfuck. There were so many layers for me to get to in that period of time. And that was one of them. And there were more. And I did ceremony upon ceremony that year and kept excavating and getting to a lot of different things that I hadn't resolved quite fully yet. And it's a process. I think it's a continuum. You know, it's like a lifelong journey, actually, to unveil and uncover all these layers that are in the way of mastery, you know? Yes. I'm going to pull that sound bite out. And uh, (laughs) yeah. And so before I shift to this next theme that revealed, I am curious specifically when you mentioned that a story, a narrative had gotten put in place that connected then you into an illusionary place that allowed you to, you know, enter into that marriage against your soul's deeper knowing or however you want to explain that. Was there a moment or a practice or a ritual that specifically allowed you to specifically go to that understanding of the Mm -hmm. story and the illusion part of it to really let that veil lift on that piece? Yeah, I think it was a lot of stillness. 
there was mm -hmm. a night I'll never forget where I was doing some journaling and I just allowed myself to really sit with what I'd written because I allowed the pen to flow that night in a way that was really honest. And then I, I got to see it on the paper and I just got to be really still in that moment to see exactly how I was coming to clarity. And so my practice in, in Vipassana and meditation and, and really being able to have those moments to see myself in action. You know, sometimes I think we're so much in our lives that we don't really see ourselves and how we play out our lives. You know, it's like the idea of being a player in the game, but not really being able to see how we're playing because we're in the game, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's why guides are so important. Coaches, mentors are so important because they could see us in the game. But at that point, I really was in a place where I was not <laughs> allowing for support otherwise, but thankfully there is a, a great support, a bigger support than all the guides that are walking this earth, which is truly divine. And in that point, it was a stillness that allowed me to access that. And it was a feeling that came over me. I'll never forget it. It was the first moment in months where I'd felt a, a feeling like I hadn't felt for, for literally that entire year, actually. And it, you know, you know, when the truth hits, it feels different. It's mm -hmm. like, it, it, there's a lightness to it. There is a levity. There is a spirit that flows. It's kind of like a waterfall when it hits your face, when you're under it, it was like that. It was all encompassing. And I was like, wow, there it is. And now I know what I know. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's that intuition that's undeniable. There's like a point of no return. And that was the moment where I actually started to reckon with the decision I had to make to divorce. And it still took me months to come around and find the courage to face off with it. But that was the night where it all came clear. And it was the night where I gave myself stillness and I didn't check my phone and I didn't do all these things that often distract us from that stillness and that, that intuition that we can always access. But it just takes quite a bit. You know, for me, it took quite a bit of really being able to settle into it, to be able to hear my soul. And also your willingness to work yourself to a place where even though it's just you and a pen and a pad of paper, but to let it really be true mm -hmm. to yourself. Yeah. You know, like you said, in that stream of consciousness writing, you are allowing it to open up into a space where there wasn't an unconscious subconscious thing trying to still delude your own self. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. hundred percent, hundred percent. Well, and the, and the body is such a really powerful interface point for spirit. Oftentimes I think in the spiritual community, we discount the body and how that is actually an instrument. It can yeah. be a tuning fork for what the truth really is. And I think I'd shut down my body so much. I had actually made my body wrong in the process of actually getting into this relationship. I sort of, I had a, a mm -hmm. collapsed notion of spirituality is that which did not need the body. It was this idea, this story of being in this union that was beyond the body's needs, mm. right? It was transcendent of that human need. And so I, I numbed it. I shut it down. And so I would access it in moments that had nothing to do with romance and our relationship. So as it pertained to serving people in a facilitation environment, activated all the engines fired, right? So that was what had me really look at, okay, how is it that I'm feeling this way in this environment, but not this way in this environment and really reckoning with the tonality within myself and the gap in that indicating where I wasn't being honest with myself. You know? So beautiful. So helpful. Oh my goodness. And so this is all gliding us to this next theme and phrase of identity crisis. <laughs> That's a good one. Should I get the rattle out for that one? <laughs> yeah, 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 we definitely could. I was like, I'm going to put this one second so we can work our way here. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's a big one. Uh, 
That's a big one. You know, and you brought up, because I had them both here and I looked up the, I mean, I know what it means to me and my soul, but I looked up the actual definition and I put identity crisis and existential crisis. And you referenced the other one, the existential, Mm. which is uh, according to some website defined as people can have an existential crisis when they start to wonder what life means and what their purpose or their purpose to life as a whole is. And then identity crisis according to some random website, is a period of uncertainty and confusion in which a person's sense of identity becomes insecure, typically due to a change in their expected aims or role in society. And so, boom, Mm -hmm. with that, with that identity crisis one, I wanted to go into your many, many years in media. And like, I was really reflecting, because I know you as Caduce, my friend, my brother, but like when I'm in researcher, you know, host role, I'm going into your new website and, and... I think I'd already seen this before, but just want to reiterate, you know, at one point when you were hosting TRL for MTV and its heyday, like one of, if not the biggest show on television. And along with that, you were labeled the coolest guy in television and TV's Mm -hmm. hottest new star. And you were, so it's like, I was really feeling into all that when I was researching and thinking, gosh, that's a lot to feel and put on someone, especially when I knew you grew up in Canada and the way that you got put into this audition and landed this major job, um, you had been working in media, but like you jumped, like you made a big jump. Yeah. Quantum leap. <laughs> yeah. A quantum leap. And so then you're on like the biggest show and having all of these, you know, titles and phrases given to <laughs> you. And then, you know, I mean, just tell me after I say this next part, what's coming up for you and where you want to go. But I keep getting pulled back to this identity crisis definition of a change in their role in society. So you have all of this and then yet at one point you decide, and we'll get into this, I'm sure that it was, you needed to leave that particular job or perhaps television hosting in general. And yeah, I just want to learn from you what your experience has been like losing this very, very powerful identity of TV's hottest new star even as a host for the biggest show in TV, as you started to get deeper on the spiritual path and like your work in media wasn't at maybe that level that had to have been a struggle. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. Cause it was me reconciling what my head was saying about the situation and what my heart was saying. And and they often say the, the sages of old always talk about that the longest journey is from the head to the heart. And, and yet the decision to leave the network felt like jumping off a steep cliff. <laughs> so without the proper path in front of me to truly go from what my head was saying to what my heart was saying, it became a very long and winding road. And so that was the hardest part of this whole transition was reconciling, leaving that. And and I'm sure Dave Chappelle could relate when he walked away from $50 million at Comedy Central, that when something feels off and our integrity is not all together at the table, that's really something to reckon with more than anything. And there's no amount of money or fame that will ever have someone sleep well at night knowing that there's some other path that's calling their name. And so no matter what sort of accolades that were coming my way, there was a hollowness to it that I could not shake. At least for me, it was not the conversation that felt most alive for me. I would get really fired up when I would experience things off camera that were pointing to the path that I eventually went on. You know, when I got to witness 
my first acting class and I saw this coach who poured into the students in a way I'd never seen before in my life, the way that her spirit sung in support and empowerment and willingness to lean in and get uncomfortable with her students and say the hard thing that nobody in their life mm. is willing to say. Mm. That was something that imprinted something on me that I was never able to have in the same way outside of that space. And mm. so it's like a question of context and container, right? An environment. And so if the environment is a place like Total Request Live, where people aren't showing up to be transformed, mm. they're showing up to be entertained and to have a platform to promote their projects. That's about the extent of it. Now, if I was to ask some questions along the way that would have things unlocked, well, that would be a very different show. And that's what I'm working on now, which is going to be the middle point and the combination of all my passions. Cause there's no question. I love media because it's an amplification of good on the high end of it. Right. Oh, and so I needed to really get to a point where I could be the person to host that show. Cause I wasn't that person in my early twenties. I, I think initially had a wave of empowerment coming off of some experiences just before getting on MTV that supported me in that quantum leap. We could talk about that. And that's a really powerful thing to look at because it was the support of those tools and those spaces that got me to a point where I got that job. So then I got to thinking about how awesome would it be to be that person for others to have quantum leaps like I did, you know, and truly paying it forward, right? So I think about the landmark forum experience that I had leading mm. into the interview at MTV that set me up to be the person to shine like I did, reading Conversations with God by Neil Donna Walsh in the same season as I did the landmark forum. So those were the combination of ingredients that had me go into that room with that talent development executive and be the person who got that quantum leap. And so after all said and done, you know, I'm looking at how I left that and essentially became the person that now propels others into their quantum leap. And I think it's kind of poetic and it's kind of beautiful, but it really is a different conversation. Totally. God, so many. I was trying to track like the 30,000 downloads coming in as you were just talking. I'm like, oh, now grab that one. Oh, no, where, where do we go? So much in this orb itself. And I think I'll go to this quote because I really resonated with it in my own way. It took me to my time when I was a hip hop radio morning show host and, <laughs> you know, super fun job. I mean, like great time, you know, mm -hmm. and it is so fun to speak with these artists and to learn about their process. And, you know, it's, it's, it's so great to have those interviews with true artists and musicians. I mean, you yourself, I mean, powerful moments with Beyonce and Jay-Z and Stevie Wonder and Britney Spears mm -hmm. and, and all of that. But yet I read this quote in this, I really liked that Vice article that mm. where they interviewed you. I thought they did a good job with that. One of your quotes, you said, I had these moments where I'd walk to the window at TRL and I'd look down and see all these fans on the street. I often thought, I wonder how their lives are. I wonder how I could support them in a more meaningful way than to just deliver this interview with Eminem today or whatever. Basically, he said, TRL felt like a party most of the time. I just had that feeling of being at a party and wanting to have a way deeper conversation. And that was, I had happened too. I remember after all these years, waking people up, you know, like an enthusiastic go alley chugging diet rock stars and like just getting them juice for the day and getting it going and having these interviews. But like, yeah, that party feeling, it runs its course. And after a while I started asking like, 
I just didn't feel like I was being very socially responsible. It felt very socially irresponsible. And I thought I'm reaching all of these people, but what am I really saying? Hey, Soul Fam, I hope you're enjoying today's voyage. It feels so good to be back for season two of Ceremony Circle Podcast. And it feels really amazing to let you know we are right around the corner from my book, Animal Power, officially being released and in your hands. Now, many of you know my close relationship with the power animal realm. They were my first spiritual guides who came in to support me after my spiritual awakening. And then they came to me when I went to Bali to write another book on a different topic. And they actually asked for me to co-create Animal Power book with them. So I did. Animal Power, 100 Animals to Energize Your Life and Awaken Your Soul is a luxe compendium that explains what a power animal is, why, and how it is so powerful to work with them, along with featuring 100 animals, each with a brilliant medicinal full page of art. And it also explains what each animal represents, its message for you, and a power practice to take you and your relationship with that animal even deeper. So the next time an animal visits your dream, your meditation, or catches your attention in any way, you can just go to Animal Power Book to see why. You can grab your copy and one for an animal or spiritual loving friend at my website, alisoncharles.com backslash animal power. That's A-L-Y-S-O-N-C-H-A-R-L-E-S, allisoncharles.com backslash animal power. And when you pre-order in between now and March 2nd at allisoncharles.com backslash animal power, you will also get a free video guided shamanic journey facilitated by me for you to meet your current power animal. I prepared for this book for many, many lifetimes and spent over four years writing it. And I can personally attest to its incredible power and magic that it will bring into your life and help you unite even more fully with your soul. I so appreciate your support, Soul Fam. And now back to today's episode. How did you get to the place where you were able to take that courageous step and leave when you just knew it wasn't going to be the container that was meant for you anymore? Before I get your answer to the question, I also wanted to tie in, I loved, and I actually did not know this story before, of the potent medicinal juxtaposition of your experiences when you were interviewing Kanye versus Pharrell and that medicine teaching. And Mm. not that I feel like you can't have fulfillment with fame, but that theme of fame versus fulfillment and all that you realized when you had that interview experience with Kanye and then later with Pharrell. So if you could touch on what I'm talking about, so people understand, and I thought how cool that we can talk about like energy medicine teachings through like your time interviewing these people. It's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, 
moment with Kanye was after a couple years of being friends and having a really great relationship where whenever he had something drop in, he would hit me up and I'd make a point of getting him on TRL. And it was a really great thing. It was that ideal media artist relationship where I was able to be a conduit for Kanye having these moments of getting out there more and starting his buzz. And that was at the beginning of his career is when through the wire was just buzzing that I got him on TRL for the first time. So that's the backdrop to this moment that we had where there was a lot of other things going on with Kanye was a bit more complicated in that moment because he had just come off the VMA after party in Miami, being there with Suge Knight, where Suge got shot and the news was all about it the next day. We happened to have Kanye slated as a guest that day, comes on TRL, and our producers want to talk about this incident the night before. Of course, Kanye doesn't want to talk about it because he's there to promote a music video. And so I am in the uncomfortable position of facilitating both desires. And in that moment, I felt like I could satisfy a bit of both and trying to please everyone all the time. There's another lesson in there about really honoring intuition more than anything. And I didn't. And that was the moment where I went ahead and even though the spidey sense was telling me, don't even touch it because Kanye is not interested in anything to do with that. I went ahead and grazed the subject to satisfy the buzz that day, the producers wanting this soundbite out of it about what happened the night before. But the unfortunate thing is I thought I could reference it and then go on to a broader question about hip hop in general, not necessarily the shooting that happened, but Kanye stopped listening because he thought I was going there and then he just snapped. So that was a moment where unfortunately live television had it to where Everyone got to see this awkward moment where Kanye blew up on live TV, yelled at the producer who had the pre-interview with him, and he told her specifically not to talk about it. And then somehow I brought it up on live TV. So that was a moment where I, I got off camera with Kanye and felt like crap. Mm. And it was one of many moments where I felt like the needs of media did not match up with the needs of me as a human being walking in my intention to empower people. And so the lines got blurred and I allowed them to get blurred. I didn't hold the line when I could have held the line. And that's not to say I have a regret around it because it really was a powerful moment for me to reckon with what kind of environment I was creating. I was around what's the default setting, how much design do I have to bring to the table in order to shift this to something other than into something that would be an ideal conversation, a place that I could feel is empowering people ultimately. And ultimately Toro Quest Live is a very empowering show. Like I don't look back on it and say, oh my God, this is like TMZ or one of these sort of more salacious right. shows. But there's moments where we did feel like we needed to kind of keep up with the clickbait. And that was when I saw the culture of the whole building actually not quite what it used to be. And so the rat race kind of spilled into the building that used to be more about trend setting and more about really being for the artist and you know having to keep up with the Joneses something that happens in any industry. And so it takes a really vision-driven, values-driven company mm. to continue down the path of being what made them cool in the first place. And unfortunately, as we saw, you know, MTV kind of wavered in a lot of ways and uh, it's no fault. I mean, it really is a difficult thing to continue to be in the zeitgeist at that level. It requires kind of a high wire act that not a lot of media outlets can claim to have over time. And that just so happened to be one of the things that I got caught in the crossroads of was mm. this feeling like there was a desire there that I really didn't want to fulfill anymore. And uh, I didn't feel aligned. There was something deeper going on for me. Yeah. And that something deeper, it's so beautiful that in that experience with Kanye, you were then 
able to develop an understanding of like, okay, when I get that, whatever that thing is inside of me, like understanding what that thing is, where it zips up inside of you, where you feel it. And so that correcting moving forward, fast forward to the Pharrell interview, you, I'm sure wherever, however that feeling expresses to you saying, do or don't do this, do or don't sell out in this way or that way, hold the line, that holding the line feeling came in for you mm-hmm. in that instance. And you were able to, oh, you mean Usher? <laughs> oh, really? You mentioned Pharrell. I think you mean Usher. Oh, it was Usher. I thought it was, oh, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, no, no, no. Yeah. It, was, it was Usher. Yeah, that okay. was the moment. Where you t- you're referring to the TED Talk and the, the second yeah, story yeah, from I the TED so. Talk. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. Usher. Oh, yeah. okay. My yeah, bad. Yeah, yeah. I was like, hold on, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to see where she's going with this, but I'm pretty sure she's right touched her. But you were able to have you like you were. It's the, it's the interview that came after where you were able to make a different decision and walk away from the interview feeling yeah. like you held the line of your integrity and of the interview guest. Yeah, and that had a lot to do with also Usher being willing to play a little ball and seeing exactly what kind of line I was needing to tote. So it was it was on both sides. You know, I think I think when I look back at the Kanye interview, there's quite a bit of responsibility on both sides. You know, we both could have probably handled it differently, but in that case with Usher, I think we both really did bring our best self and a mindfulness and a sensitivity to what was going on for him going through the divorce, for me kind of needing to scratch that itch on some level of the hot topic of him going through the divorce for the sake of the outlet. And so it's a fine line. A lot of these interviews that happen in media, most people, they just see what's on the air, but behind the scenes, there's a whole bunch of conversations that either allow or constrict what goes on in that interview, you know, publicists and producers and all the negotiation around, okay, well, what is the nature of this interview? Something that we can play ball with some something that we can't and, and all the things in between. So it's a distinct kind of thing. It's not a, a, conversation that oftentimes feels natural because it's got all of these sort of guidelines around it. Uh, these big stars that really don't have the freedom to talk about anything and everything. Cause sometimes their situations are live. So, I mean, that was really sensitive in that moment. And, and thankfully I was able to, to just feel into what that wanted to be and get the agenda out of it in such a way where we could all feel good walking off the set. And that's one of those course corrections that for me was, was a proud moment because I got to look at my growth yeah. as someone who would not just bend to the will of the masses but could also really have some integrity within what it is that I feel is wanted and needed for everybody involved. Yeah. And so, you know, these are just some of the examples and realizations and medicinal teachings that led you to landing and that really crystal clarity that something had to give career wise. And so what was that next step that allowed you to start to morph your, your career in media? Well, (laughs) how long you got, there was a lot of different steps, but I'll I'll just cut to the one moment that was probably the most cinematic of all these moments, which happened backstage during a pilot that I was filming for A&E. It was a singing competition show called secret superstar. And the day prior to filming, it was a moment where the stage manager came to the green room to ask me if I wanted to use my rehearsal time. And there was a contestant 
that happened to have not gotten rehearsal time that day. And so would you like to use your rehearsal time or give it to the contestant was the question. My dad was visiting. He was in the green room with me. I felt like, well, you know, all things considered, I want to spend some more time with my dad. I feel like I got this, you know? And again, it was one of those moments where my intuition was like, ah, do you, do you though? Do you? (laughs) Rehearsal might be helpful and didn't listen to it. So it's not like any of these states of being, you know, we talk about the moment with Usher and I felt evolved and I was able to transcend. And then this was a couple of years after. So, you know, it's not like we ever just kind of arrive at this place of enlightenment and always, always goes gravy from then on. It was one of those moments where, again, like I didn't pay attention to that intuition. And I said, no, no, you give it to the contestant. He probably needs it or she needs it more than me. Go ahead. So then cut to the next day two minutes out from filming, I'm looking at the script. I get nauseous because I feel so unprepared and my human <laughs> limitations come arising. I feel all sorts of nerves. And I mean, it literally like blows the gasket in my nervous system. And I mm. basically have a nervous breakdown. I start hyperventilating. I tell the stage manager, hold on. I need to run to the bathroom. I run to the bathroom. I run into the stall. I hold my head and I start breathing deeply. And I realize in that moment, wow, I really need to get to the bottom of this that this moment is a point of no return. I can't go on thinking that this didn't happen. This happened. I basically had a breakdown backstage for a show that, I mean, for all intents and purposes, it wasn't beyond my skill set, but certainly it revealed some thing, some level of lack of mindfulness and mastery around myself and what I needed, you know? Mm-hmm. So anyway, of course, that's the theme looking at my divorce years later, right? So, but that being said, that was like the first moment of many in that period of initiation of really awakening to what I needed to, to bring forth a, a level of rigor around my own practices. You know, the fact that I didn't meditate that day is probably also something to look at. The fact that I really didn't have a mission, a vision or values that I looked at on a regular basis that held the North star for me. You know, there's a lot of things to look at, but that was a moment where I realized I got to do some work on myself. Just so happened that about a month later, I was sitting there in my living room and our dear friend Preston happened to be over and talking about the situation that just happened. And I was honest with him. I said, man, I've gone through a couple of projects that haven't worked out. And of course that pilot, we filmed it. I mean, I got through that nervous breakdown. We filmed it didn't go to air. Apparently it wasn't my fault, but certainly felt like it. So when Preston was in my living room that day, I felt like I really had a streak of not succeeding going at that point. It was years of sort of still exploring what hosting could be, not really feeling like I found the project that could really encapsulate all of the things that I really loved and felt good. And yet another project didn't work out didn't go to a series. And so Preston in that moment recommended that I do this workshop. He just did. And that was the moment that really got me going into a whole different path. So I, it was a series of beautiful, powerful self-development experiences and workshop settings and in community. And all of it led to, to me being ultimately a facilitator of those types of transformational experiences. And these seminars, you know, it's funny even using this word seminar, because I feel like what we do in these particular seminars is way beyond most seminars. It's not like a lecture-based thing. It's a very experiential, very, very powerful place to do work. Anyway, I've been blessed to be on that path now, which has nothing to do with media, you know? And so of course, being someone who wants to amplify amazing things, I'm now in the process of figuring out how to meld these worlds and, you know, like you in this podcast and having conversations that really matter and can really move the needle for people listening. And so that's what's next. So that is where you currently are, is you are gathering all the wisdom and experience gained 
really honing in and attuning to the caduce that is now and what will feel the most fulfilling and of service and formulating potentially what that media project or show could look like. Yeah. Cause now I feel like I'm wholeheartedly the man I've always wanted to be. And when I hit a microphone it is a thousand percent authentic and in service and very much connected to vision, mission values. And I think that makes for a very different experience for everybody. So I'm excited to actually unleash that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited too. keep me posted. And I also did really enjoy your Ted talk. I was like, let me, let me check this out. And yeah. it was, you did a great job. Side Thank note, you. just as a friend doing a little yeah. round of applause. I was like, okay, boy, okay, home run. And I loved how you ended it. Was the talk called media rehab or what did you do? Yeah. So it's, it's posing the question, do we need media rehab? At this point, you know, we're, we're looking at, you know, the social dilemma having come out. And if you have watched that documentary, you know, it it points to some real, some real issues in social media. And I think media in general has always had that possibility of being problematic. You know, if, if the advertising model is what is at the helm and then clicks becomes the metric for success and then getting clicks, I mean, it's a very slippery slope. So I think we get to look at, okay, what does it look like to go through media rehab? And that's, really what I was exploring with my TED talk is like really checking in and asking ourselves, are we actually operating from our values here or is it for the sake of views? And and that's a very slippery slope. It is. And it's something to tune into and asking yourself where you're at on that spectrum on a regular basis, because, you know, in media, there are so many outside forces. You can easily and quickly get swept out of alignment and off track. And so it brings me to, I love how you end your talk with those questions of inventory, identity, and tension and impact. So freaking helpful because I think, you know, a lot of people lately are questioning what really lights them up and am I still being fulfilled by the work that I've been doing? And I think a lot of folks are hitting up against that friction point, that pressure point of, do I keep pushing myself to do work that just isn't feeling right? And if I do want to pivot, like, what am I doing next? And, you know, where is all of that coming? How fast? Mm -hmm. And so when you guide people, I don't know what you're going to close the ceremony circle with, what practice, if it is this, or if it's not, can you quickly guide people through? Because what came up for me in it was so supportive for where I'm mm. at in life right now. So I thought, oh my gosh, I would love if you can share with people because it's a quick practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we could definitely go through those questions. I mean, I, those are the questions that I put into a, an ebook a while ago. And I remember feeling like, oh, you know what? This, this has another another chapter. I need to use this in a, in a different way. And so the, the TED Talk felt like a good place to share. But I think it's really important to ask ourselves things that do take inventory, you know, for, for everybody listening, like, you know, to check in and ask ourselves, the questions that oftentimes we don't ask, you know, we we're in our lives so much and sometimes we're even in survival and, or a comfort zone. So even if it doesn't feel like survival necessarily, that then something that could be very well, something that we wanted at some point that lit us up at some point may not light us up anymore. So at what point do we actually change course and have those moments of inventory to be able to actually course correct in a way that continues to light us up and is an elevation of progress for us in the path that we're 
we're choosing, which is it's, it's a moving target. I mean, truly, mm-hmm. I, think, I think purpose and authenticity are two things that get thrown around a lot, but they're moving targets because what was true for me three years ago is not true for me anymore. What was true for me last year is not true for me anymore. You know, so in the absence of check-in moments, we can just blur right through. So I think it's a great thing to ask everybody listening, including ourselves, you know, what truly lights us up now, you know, and take a deep breath, take a really big deep breath into that. What is lighting you up now? Is it different than what was lighting you up earlier this year? And why is it lighting you up? Can we put a finger on that? Is it an intuition that doesn't necessarily have a whole lot of evidence? (laughs) And sometimes that's the hardest thing to come into recognition of that, which has no precedent or evidence in our lives that is lighting us up. Is it a new partner? Is it a new business? Is it a new way of spending our time? Whatever that is, breathe into that, knowing that we are meant to evolve, we are meant to change. And so any judgment or overthinking that's going into this inventory moment is perfectly natural and normal. And I pray that it doesn't hold you back from what your intuition is pointing you to. And maybe this is just a moment to confirm that you're exactly where you should be. And that's great too. So I I love this moment to take inventory. I do it actually every week. Now I ask myself these things Mm. that are constantly putting me into a presence. You know, I think presence is the portal for our truth. You know, it's only when we actually get present beyond sort of conditioning and automaticity that we can easily get into the default mode because it is uncomfortable actually to break away and create essentially a new identity. And this is the next step. You're referring to these four steps. So if the first step takes inventory of the thing that then needs to change, then our identity is actually the next step we get to look at. So what is it about our identity that gets to change with respect to what might be new and different that we're choosing? You know, is it that you're choosing a different partner because the identity that you had that chose that last partner or the partner you're currently with, it feels like they're not growing with you. The vision is different. Something has arisen to the top of your consciousness that wasn't aware to you before. Like I was in a blind spot with my ex-wife. You know, is it something now that's present for you that you get to move on? All these things are important to take note of. And then like for a professional thing, a purpose-driven thing, what is it about our identity that gets to shift? Does it mean that you're actually way bigger than you've given yourself credit for? because you have a desire that's emerging now that wasn't present before and expanding our sense of self and self-worth to catch up with that new desire. So our identity gets to expand with that inventory and whatever that reveals. And then the next step is around intention. So, okay, let's say that we're taking note of some major shifts going on that have been internal that you're now ready to make external What does that mean as far as your goals and your intention? Does that mean that you're now going to go about filming that show that you've always had on your heart? Or does that mean you're going to start that business? Or does that mean you're going to ask that girl out? You know, what does that mean for your intention? And then the impact can be different. That's the fourth step, the final step. Mm. So it's only with those three steps that we just went over that we can actually have a different result. I think sometimes we forget that the result will always be the same unless we change our thinking, our beliefs, our behavior. That's the work. That's Those are the mindset shifts that really do result in something different. Wow. I mean, I really hope uh, so much of the Soul Fam uh, took a moment to actually go through that. If you didn't and it resonated, maybe rewind, hit the rewind <laughs> button and go back and do it because it's really profound. You know, yeah, it was beautiful for me 
that it reaffirmed. I, I was already in this knowingness, but in these really deep initiations and transformations I've been going through, I could feel in a very intense way, this old archetype of mine coming up to die. And it's really, you know, truly, and I love and revere and honor. And I'm just holding that archetype with just Mm. such tenderness because it came in at such a young age, you know, at probably two and a half ish years old. And it's that archetype that just goes for it and strives and is in the spotlight and makes a name for itself and climbs and yeah, that, that. (laughs) And and that especially has pertained, I mean, I guess to many areas of my life, but especially like my previous identity as an athlete and then in my professional career. And I don't think I'm ready to share because it only happened a few nights ago, like this initiation I went through where this all was revealing in a very profound, full spectrum way. But I could really see that this archetype is removing itself and getting chills right now. Yeah. So good. I'm so happy for you. Thank you. That's huge. I mean, can we just like celebrate for a second? To be able to even like put a finger on something that's outdated is an accomplishment because then it's only with this awareness that we could even do anything about it. Choose a different archetype if we want to go with another archetype or we maybe just blow up the whole notion of archetypes. Right. Right. Yeah. And that dying off and that being kind of I mean, for sure, the main, I mean, like that is the archetype that's been the one the whole way through other Mm. archetypes have like morphed and shifted and moved into different positions and operated more in shadow or more in light. But that one has been like, Mm. even as your titles have changed along the way that underneath it all, the same archetype. So even as a shaman, you operated as that go-getter doer. And so in seeing it's like, destruction <laughs> and i'm like whoa, whoa whoa wait a second like <laughs> floppy fish you know and this main massive part of me dying away and then seeing this new one this mother archetype wanting the space to enter in and then that archetype is i mean maybe not 100 foreign but like i've not birthed a child yet i've not yet been pregnant this lifetime. So that portal, and in my opinion, since just even looking at that portal and what's held in that, I'm like, that's the most powerful one yet. And that feels totally new. So I have the only one I've ever known, the through line archetype dying while simultaneously a completely foreign one is presenting and revealing to come in. And I'm just Mm -hmm. like, that's the zone I'm at. And it's mm. so beautiful. And I'm so glad you had us take a second a while ago to, to sit with that and celebrate that because it's powerful. Mm-hmm. So that's just one little dose of the zone, but walking through that practice to be able to get into those textures and those visions around what's occurring for me through asking myself those questions from your talk. It was so supportive. Oh, amazing. Amazing. And what's amazing too, is that there's things that are transferable from this other archetype. Like, cause I think you You've birthed things into the world. They weren't children, but I think there's probably a lot to be said about that archetype, not necessarily being something to go and do away with altogether, but just like, okay, what do we want to choose? Curate, bring over to this new vision and person that you're about to be, which is a mother. 
That's great. Thanks. That's beautiful. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, life is one continuum. I was about to abandon every part of who I used to be too. I had a moment actually recently in ceremony and this is super live for me. So as you're sharing something vulnerable, I'll share something real for me. I just come off of the ceremony with the first shaman I ever sat in ceremony with. And there I was again with him all these years later, six years later to sit again with him privately. And so it was a really beautiful ceremony. And the big theme for me was this idea of an initiation. And we talked through it. And I realized after walking away from the ceremony that there had been moments along this path of facilitating these trainings and being this guide and coach for people where people have referred to the work that I do with them as shaman-like. And I would always sort of laugh it off. I'd think, oh, come on, like that's a whole different lineage. You know, I have a lot of respect for anyone who walks that path. I think it requires a lot of deep research, reflection, being in community with those indigenous tribes that originated it, like all of that, I have a lot of respect for. So whenever anybody would put me in the same category, I'd think, oh, come on, let's not, don't get carried away. Like, <laughs> thank you. And, <laughs> and then after the ceremony, I actually started to think, wow, maybe I ought to, maybe I ought to walk that path. If it's something that I've experienced benefit from, like I've had beautiful experiences with shamans guiding me. And I find it to be the most profound work that I've done you know, beyond the work of a meditation retreat or a seminar series. It's sort of like this spirit that binds it all together and makes it all fly. And so I'm sitting with that question right now and looking at what parts of my identity need to die off in order to honor that. It's like a simultaneous <laughs> purge with elation with it's the allness that shamanism is and brings. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I remember very clearly, I was one of those people that those mm -hmm. years ago after camera doing the camera ready training and, and just in other ways of knowing you, I definitely said to you more than once, you've, you're working some shamanic medicines here, my friend. And mm -hmm. I was definitely in that mix of sensing that. And yeah, I mean, I'm not even going to, or feel compelled to go any further with that inquiry that's arising for you because it's yours. And, and I can tell and feel it just needs to keep informing you with you and yeah. within yourself. So I'm not even gonna Add to the pondering um, <laughs> other, I want to, uh, <laughs> that I'm, I, it's so beautiful for me to hear this and I'm just excited and mm -hmm. I'm going to leave it at that. Would you be open to me sharing one thing? Absolutely. I'm open to you sharing anything. I mean, really, it's all good. Because I, I know, and this is what I love about you, is that you also honor the sovereignty that is each of us walking our paths. And it's important for us to have that ability to not be too swayed by influences outside of our own sovereignty. And I think I can hold both. So bring it on. Cool. I love that you're, you're here at that place. And yeah, I feel, really feel that within you. It's so powerful to witness. So yeah, I mean, it's yes, you have been walking the shamanic path for a number of years at this point. And I think, you know, maybe you're already here, but maybe with even a little bit more hindsight, like you'll dial in even more clearly to what I'm saying with that. It's like, I just think that, yeah, it's all perfect. Right. Mm -hmm. So then a year ago, five years ago, three years ago, it just 
And I'm kind of glad it functioned for you in that way in terms of, because shamanism brings with it a shit ton of humility. And so I'm glad that there was a part of you that wasn't ready to maybe acknowledge within your own self, like I am on the shamanic path already. Mm -hmm. um, And I have been doing this, but you have. And so the fact that because each shamanic path of, of course is unique, every single shaman's path is unique. But, and I show this in my animal power book, you know, there is a difference between when someone feels compelled and a calling and a desire to lean into shamanic ways and to experience if they feel a calling to work in a particular type of ceremony and to have their own healings and transformations and revelations in a shamanic ceremony, there's the desire to experience shamanic ways And then there is being a shaman and that's a whole other ball game, ball game and path. And so I just am really in awe and in in joyful presence of this now arrival moment that you're at where you are feeling into and in a place of trusting yourself and in soul unification and embodiment where there's a different readiness to acknowledge some truths that have always been held within you and yeah, what those next steps are at this next level of embodiment and expression. So I'm just really excited with where you're at, what's going to come up, you know, Mm -hmm. what that's going to look like for you as you decide for yourself, if claiming I am a medicine man, I am a shaman, I'm a shamanic practitioner. Every person has um, wording that is meant for them and instructed for them to use. Um, But whatever that phrasing is, or not even using a phrasing publicly, just knowing it for yourself, it's yeah, you're at a really, really powerful fork in the road, my friend. Mm, Thank you. Yeah, it feels like it. Definitely feels like it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a point of no return, truly. It's hard to find a metaphor that's really appropriate, but I do think it's kind of like the equivalent of experiencing a different dimension. For lack of a better word, it's like being in a different dimension, experience of life, and still walking in this dimension. And so I think I've been playing double Dutch for a while in that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? and my, my, my shaman, he actually said to me, he said, I see you trying so hard to bring these worlds together. And so, I, you know, Camaretti wasn't one iteration of it and all these different things I've been doing. It's, you know, very much spirit led and yet very much in the 3D world and talked about in very pedestrian ways. And so, like you said, like training, the coaching that you've witnessed is akin to shamanism. And it's like, I think that comes with having the experiences that we've had in certain ceremonies and surrendering who we think we are to allow for, I mean, my first ayahuasca experience was something that was all the evidence I needed to point to what's possible in this realm, in the shaman path. I was able to heal Carmina of shoulder issues that she'd had for upwards of a year. And it was all spirit led. It wasn't anything I can intellectually take credit for. And so it was like, oh, that's possible, you know? And so it's definitely a, a different path than I thought I would be on. <laughs> yeah, no, you can relate. Radio DJ turned shaman over there. And the same thing. It's like, wow, these are very different conversations. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
I'm just, yes. <laughs> and thank you for sharing. Like I could not have asked for a more intriguing and totally expected, but unexpected. Like I, because I've seen that piece in you, that texture mm. in you kind of since I met you, I'm not surprised at all to hear it. But at the same time, the fact that you arrived recently to that place and were uh, willing to share it here, I'm like, oh, wow, I did not see that coming. So I'm just going to sit in the uh, both sides of that and yeah, ceremony circle. Ceremony circle. We called you got it. it. Yeah. This has been a ceremony. <laughs> oh my gosh. So yeah, let's um do you want to classify taking the people through those that practice that you already did from your talk as the ceremony piece, or is there anything else you want to close the circle with today? Oh, well, I was thinking about something else that would be a little bit more visual, like a little bit more of a, an experience. Cool. Because I, I was sort of like. I was like, is this the piece that we're doing right now? I thought, well, no, no, this, this, this would be the piece. So yeah, yeah if you want to, yeah, this is actually perfect for what you just shared too. So okay. let's go ahead and, and have that experience. So go ahead and close your eyes wherever you're listening to this, unless you're driving, of course, and then pull over and take a deep breath in. And I want you to take another deep breath in. This time I want you to breathe in all the things that you've been feeling, sensing, knowing are for you in this next chapter. And maybe you haven't allowed yourself to fully embrace. And I want you to, on your next inhale, breathe in even more of what you're becoming. And on the exhale, I want you to breathe out every bit of who you've made up yourself to be. So maybe it's that archetype. Maybe it's whatever title, whatever neighborhood, whatever thing that you've identified with. And knowing that our identity is ultimately up to us, we're about to go on a little journey. So I want you to imagine all the things that made up your identity up until now as items that you have in a backpack right now. So see in your mind's eye, this backpack in front of you, see the things in that backpack and like one at a time, I want you to start to take those things out. So maybe it's an item that represents your personality in the way that you are the life of the party, or maybe you've made up yourself to be shy, whatever it is, see that, take it out of the backpack. And what are the other ingredients that have made up your identity? Maybe it's a notion that you are hardworking. I want you to take that out of the backpack. And you're going to lay out these things on a table. So imagine it's almost like an examination table because we're actually going to examine these things, these items that represent these traits, these aspects of your identity. And so what's the next thing you want to take out of that backpack? I'm going to leave a blank space here for you to insert. What's made up your identity?
take that thing out of the backpack, put it on that table. So now let's have a moment to actually honor those things for what they brought you. Whatever personality aspects, whatever behavioral things stem out of a belief about who you're supposed to be in the world. Let's take a moment and actually acknowledge the things that it's brought you, that these things, this identity has brought you. Is it a certain level of success in the world? Is it a partner? Is it a wardrobe? Is it a location? Is it money in the bank? Whatever it is. There's probably something good that's come out of this identity. So let's take a moment to celebrate that. And as you're looking at those things on the examination table, I want you to imagine smiling and celebrating and holding these as sacred. They have served you in the way that they have served you. And in doing that inventory, maybe there's a few of these elements of your identity that you actually want to put back in the backpack. So what are those things about you that would feel good to actually bring into this next chapter? And in a moment, you're going to become the alchemist to bring in some new elements. But for now, we're just cherry picking. We're just curating those elements that have been a part of your identity so far into the next chapter, back into the backpack. When you're complete with that, feel that completion. Feel that completion of that chapter, that celebration, just like you would turning a page in a book you're reading. You're turning a page, and this is actually a blank paper now that you're looking at that is the new self, the new identity that you're ready to claim. So take a big deep breath into that big possibility here. And of course, there's aspects of your past self that want to spill onto this page. And so we appreciate their tenacity <laughs> to want to be at the table. And we're just going to let them gracefully stay where they are. And so in that blank space, looking at that blank page, what do you get to step into now? What are the beliefs? What are the different aspects of you that you want to start to animate more? If you've made up that you are shy, are you ready to step into that full roar of a human being that you are in this moment distinct and different from the last because we're making all of this stuff up as we go along so might as well make up something that feels exciting feels new feels like evolution so as that evolution starts to wash over you to actually put words, you know, imagine them like they're 
subtitles in a movie in your mind's eye, those words that you get to actually own about yourself is your new identity that you are stepping into powerful, unapologetic, radiant, nurturing, whatever it is. Put that on the page and take another big deep breath into that. Let that breath really nourish the new soil of this new chapter and this new identity. Been in process. Now we're just putting it to the top of mind to be realized. And if it's a point of no return, if this feels true for you, then I want you to actually put your arms around this new version of you like you would a friend that you are so excited to have along for the ride. I want you to imagine really alchemizing and forming a union with this new version of you. So what was separate is now one. And imagining all the parts of you now, even from that backpack that you want to bring forth, that the world is ready for. And breathing into all of that, the wholeness of you, the fullness of you, And trusting that all of this is coming up for a reason. And the reason is you're ready. And letting that hug go. And whenever you're ready to open your eyes, opening your eyes. And if you've got somebody near, share what came up for you. Make it real. It's in the sharing that things become real. That was so nice and so shamanic. <laughs> Beautiful. So what came up for you? It's, it's the, I mean, seeing me, I, you know, Luke and I, we were spiritually married in a ceremony, like on our third date, I think. So very uh-huh. quickly after we transitioned from friends to, you know, what we are sacred partners, but we're not legally married. So, you know, it was, yeah, it's, I'm just so excited to be the most radiant wife I can be. And it's, it's the wife and it's the mom and it's the sister and friend, like just letting my being receive and relax. I've, you know, pushed and strived and accomplished and attained Mm -hmm. that old archetype is the attaining attain. Mm -hmm. That word came in since literally I ran. I mean, I was born the first baby born on the new year. I was like in the paper, in the media, the day I incarnated on earth and ran my first road race at two and a half years old and become a national champion at such a young age. And like, I'm just giving those like early on mile markers of like that attainer. And Mm -hmm. so to allow it to 
release and to learn how to receive and almost like, I don't want to say I'm going into early retirement. Don't, you know, twist (laughs) the whole notion or words, but me know that energy more of like relaxing and retiring and receiving. And I saw myself in our house here that we've been renovating, like up in the loft ceremonial space, like big old pregnant belly, just laying on the floor with some tea and some sister friends and just that just tea and pregnant mama belly and being the best wife I can. Cause Luke is so incredible. And that's a real different way of life for me. So yeah. very, well, you've earned it. That's yeah, for sure. That is very, for sure. <laughs> Beautiful. Oh, I'm glad you received that. It mm-hmm. feels like that's part of the equation, right? I get to mm-hmm. take all these moments. Really, really grateful that you created this space. Really awesome. Uh, thank you. And thank you for all of your willingness with the time and the weaving and to just share all of those really personal stories, because, you know, in shamanism, storytelling has a ton of medicine in it. And there are some shamans where like, that is their form of shamanism is storyteller, put a fire on, tell story. That's their shamanic way. You know, there's so much medicine in just storytelling alone. And so the fact that you're willing to share so many of your own, thank you so much. Course. Yeah. Is there any last anything? Of course, you know, they know that I put all the links in the show notes and, and in the Instagram post for each episode, but you do have a new website. So I think it would be good to let folks know how to find that. Yeah. Yeah. Caduce.co. So Q-U-D-D-U-S.co. And there's quite a bit on there that they can dig into. The TED Talk is on there and coaching opportunities if they feel called to that. And what I'm guiding people into is a different level of sovereignty around social media, actually. Right now, that's my focus is giving people a space to find a different relationship with media where it's a healthier relationship with media. I'm calling it media rehab, where we can really reset and find our most authentic voice when we re-engage, you know? Well, even before the level of embodiment that I'm sitting with within you today, even before that, you already had such a high level of mastery and guiding people to that place that you just referenced. And it's such an important place right now. Um, Mm. So I'm glad that you're offering that guidance. And yeah, you know, and I know you also work with people and and figuring out like perhaps the podcast land, which is a whole other world, you know, um, (laughs) that is beautiful. And I'm so glad that I stepped into it. So yeah, I know that you can help walk alongside folks and gaining new insights and clarity in a a really incredible way. So yeah, hit up his website to dive into any of that. And ah, it's just so good to see you. And, um, you know, I know both of our lives have changed. We now live, we used to be Brooklyn neighbors and now (laughs) you're in Colorado and I'm in Texas and it's life partners and just doing so many different things. So I just, I love you as a brother and a friend and just so grateful to know you're here on the planet at the same time. And it was just so good to catch up and thank you Mm. for sharing all your wisdom that you gained in some very hard earned ways along. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm grateful for it all though. I'm grateful for you for sure. This has been beautiful. Great conversation. All right. So fam, we will sit with you again next time. Woo! What a beautiful, powerful voyage that was. It truly brings me so much joy and activates and lights me up to be able to sit with these incredible teachers 
leaders and masters from all over the world. So to learn more about them, just head to my website where all of the show notes and their details are listed. That's alisoncharles.com, A-L-Y-S-O-N-C-H-A-R-L-E-S.com. And remember, what makes Ceremony Circle Podcast so unique is that at the end of every single episode, you're able to immerse in a potent guided ritual practice or ceremony for your empowerment. So please feel free to make note of the practices that you really resonate with, the ones that really light up your soul and come back to those episodes anytime, any day. You can use them as your daily practices. And I recommend starting your day with one of them at your altar space. Ah, it's been an honor voyaging with you today and I would so truly appreciate if you'd open your heart to take a quick few seconds to drop a review on Apple, sharing what you love most or appreciate most about Ceremony Circle Podcast. Receiving those reviews is so helpful and allows us to continue to share this valuable content. And don't forget, if you haven't already gotten your copy of my new best-selling book, Animal Power, you can do so anywhere books are sold, or I most recommend going to my website. Again, that's alisoncharles.com backslash animal power. Because when you purchase for you and your friends there, you get a free video guided shamanic journey to meet your current power animal that I facilitate. Animal Power Book is a modern day compendium featuring 100 different power animals, what each animal represents, their wisdom messages for you, guided practices, and stories from all over the world. I personally put the book up to my heart each morning at my altar, and I ask which animal most wants to work with me that day. And then I simply close my eyes and flip the book open to the page I'm guided. And let me tell you, I have been deeply moved to tears on many occasions, and I can't wait for you to experience it as well. I worked on this book for many, many years, and it's now my greatest honor to have it available for you. So anytime animals reveal themselves for you, you can just head to Animal Power Book and see what that animal is trying to get your attention for. All right, Soul Fam, let's unite again in our next episode coming out next week so we can sit together and continue to activate greater consciousness energies for everyone. Much love. This podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only, and my intention is not to provide medical advice or diagnosis. You should always consult a health professional before making drastic changes to your diet or lifestyle.